0: Hi, and welcome to a landmark episode of 5 Minutes of Rum. Well, okay, not really. Welcome to episode 28 of 5 Minutes of Rum. Notes on rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin Up the Grove. In this episode, I'll be yammering on about Angostura's 1919 rum, uh, the book The Drunken Botanist by Amy Stewart, Angostura Bitters, and then finally the 2070 Swizzle. All right, so let's jump right into the feature rum for this episode, which is the Angostura 1919 rum from Trinidad. Uh, so if you remember from episode 16, uh, the rum manufacturing arm of Angostura, uh, Trinidad Distillers is pretty huge. They do about 50 million liters a year, uh, the last figure I saw, and they sell a lot of rum in bulk to other manufacturers. So for instance, Zaya is a Trinidad rum that they produce um, and then sell to a company that actually, produ- that actually makes Zaya from that uh, rum stock that they're producing. Um, and from episode 19, Uh, You'll remember Plantation's excellent dark rum, which also hails from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, So today, let's explore a namesake rum from the Angostura Company, you know, the bitters people, um, which is, I'm sure, exactly how they want to be known. So from reading the marketing materials for Angostura in 1919, you see the reason for the name. Uh, In 1932, a fire destroyed the Trinidad and Tobago government rum bond, um, and the master blender of the Fernandez distillery nearby bought the charred casks of rum, blended it, and then created what was dubbed a super premium 1919 rum, with 1919 being the year that the rum was originally set in those casks that were uh, charred and rescued. And so in honor of that blend, uh, the rum became uh, Angostura, well, at the time it was the super premium 1919, but eventually this rum that exists today came from that lineage and has the name Angostura 1919. Trinidad Distillers itself was formed in 1949 um, when they built. Well, there's some, I saw 1949, I also saw 1945 and 47 as years, but sometime in the mid to late 40s, the Trinidad Distillers formalized and added a multi column distillery um, and started broadening their reach. The company behind the famous bitters, Angostura, had already been blending rums, but they hadn't really begun to step up their own production of those rums. Uh, They acquired the aforementioned Fernandez Distillers in 1973, and in looking at the history of the company on their website, I can see that in 2010, they really ramped up their marketing and their outreach. Um, Angostura has pretty good distribution where I live, and their rum isn't really that hard to find, uh, but I'll bet that I was similar to many people in that um, a couple, well, anything more than a couple of years ago, I didn't even think Angostura had anything other than bitters to offer. Uh, the rum has started to gain an appreciation in recipes i was reading and it became a little bit more on my radar Uh, and sure enough i tried it eventually and found it to be fairly enjoyable and a a pretty good rum and i'm sure it's no coincidence actually that my awareness of the rum a couple years ago coincided with like i said the 2010 enhanced marketing that they started doing where they really expanded their outreach to other countries so those two are probably things that go hand in hand The Angostura 1919 uh, specifically is bottled at 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. Excuse me. Uh, Angostura rums are made from a molasses base as opposed to, say, uh, fresh cane uh, like an agricole. Uh, This molasses is bought on the open market, but I believe mostly comes from the Dominican Republic. It doesn't come from Trinidad itself. Uh, The 1919 is column-stilled and then aged in oak, Uh, actually used bourbon barrels. And then after aging, it's blended. Uh, the aging on this rum is at least eight years. But uh, because it's rum, there's not really a lot of uh, strict age statements to be had. Uh, but from what I can tell in researching online, the, the aging is at least eight years on the 1919 rum. Um, and even with the starting point of using Dominican molasses, Trinidad rums don't remind you at all of a Dominican rum. So I find Dominican rums to be a different, uh, maybe a crisper or drier product and uh, the rums that come out from Trinidad, at least in particular this Angostura one, the 1919, uh, doesn't really give you any indication that it came from Dominican uh, molasses or Dominican soil. Um, also for some of the information I can find online, and I'll put notes to a couple of different articles on Angostura in the show notes, uh, but this one is coming from a 2011 article on Camper English's site, Alcademics. Um, but they're only using column distilling at this point Um, Although, like I said, in the 2011 article that I linked to from Camper English, uh, it said they were experimenting with pot stilling, but I don't think that they've actually produced a pot stilled rum as of yet. All right, so let's taste this uh, Angostura 1919 rum. Uh, Starting off, appearance-wise in the glass, it's a palish golden color. It becomes a little bit more darker amber when you hold it up to direct light, but certainly not a dark rum by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And then when swirled in the glass, Uh, It forms legs that seem to run pretty quickly down the sides, but enough of it remains on the sides of the glass to start to form droplets within like 30 to 40 seconds. In terms of aroma, uh, for me it was dominated pretty much by sugar and vanilla. Uh, There's a very mild and almost no astringency astringency when you smell it from the bottle. Um, Once it's been out in a glass and swirled around a little bit and exposed to more air, I pick up more of the oakiness from the barrel and then a little bit more of astringency right when it's swirled, but overall, again, it's, it's pretty mild. And overall, I'm just having trouble picking up anything more than the sugar, the vanilla, and the oak. In terms of taste, um, a tiny bit of heat on the lips when first sipping it, and then picks up um, some of the sweetness that goes along with what you got on the nose. Uh, no, for me, no real spice or pepper that I can detect aside from the little bit of vanilla um, body that's in. Um, excuse me, the little bit of vanilla that's in it. Feels like a, a medium-bodied rum when I sip it. Um, it's not like, say, crisp and light as you would find like a Virgin Islands rum or a rum in the more true Spanish style, uh, but maybe not as much depth as I was expecting from something that's been aged eight years. Um, but it's not really that style of rum, so perhaps it shouldn't. I shouldn't judge it on something that's not trying to be. Um, finish, it has a very quick finish, um, and you know once you've sipped it four or five times and you start to work your way down the glass, It does linger around a little bit, but, you know, overall it's not a very, it's a pretty quick finish and definitely not anything that lingers around to burn. Um, To sum up this rum, I I found it, you know, very easy to drink. It's not overly sweet, um, like something like a Zaya, uh, but it does have a sweetness element to it. Um, It's very smooth and easy to see why this rum may be a good mixer, which we'll get to in a little bit. As a sipper, this one I would characterize more as something you would sip on a summer evening as opposed to something that would keep you warm in the wintertime. Uh, And then the closest approximation in terms of style I found with this rum would be a Barbados rum. Um, Not that it's actually the same as a Barbados rum, but just in terms of being a medium body goldish rum that doesn't have too much funkiness that would characterize a Jamaican rum. I think that's where it slots in uh, the closest. Um, and I'll say this about the rum. Uh, I finished my glass well before I knew I was getting near the end of my glass. So it is something that I kept reaching over and, and taking another sip and taking another sip, but definitely it wasn't something I felt bad about finishing. Um, if you have friends or family who wanna work into sipping spirits neat, uh, this wouldn't be a bad start. As you work your way to something a little bit more distinct, like one of the plantation rums that comes you know with a certain country and vintage, uh, those tend to be a little bit more complex uh, but this would be you know perhaps a gateway sipper uh, for those that are inclined to try it so i don't know if it was in episode seven about the mai tai or it was the uh talk i gave at the tonga hut rum rum club last summer about the mai tai but at some point i had made an off-headed comment when discussing the origins of orange curacao which came from the Lorasha plant that when folks found that they couldn't actually eat that plant because the orange was way too bitter to be palatable uh, they did what any industrious person would do, and they figured out how to distill a spirit from it. And so, I recently read *The Drunken Botanist* by Amy Stewart, and essentially, *The Drunken Botanist* is a full expansion of that concept, and and walks the reader through any number of plants, um, trees, flowers, herbs—you know, any sorts of thing uh, that occur naturally in the plant world, and what can be distilled from those things. It's a it's a great book. Um, I actually just sort of re-kicked off. I wanted to, there's a bunch of books I had stacked up that I wanted to uh, work my way through. A lot of them related to spirits and cocktails and things like that. The Drunken Botanist had been pretty high on my list and I finally got around to reading it over the last couple weeks. Um, found it to be really, really interesting. So if you, there's a link to that in the show notes. If you haven't heard of it or if you've heard of it but haven't picked it up, I definitely recommend picking it up. It's, it's um, re- really good and really interesting reading. But The part that's germane here to this particular episode is that it included a discussion of trees and seeds and some other things that are used to make cocktail bitters. So if you recall, cocktail bitters are essentially botanical matter such as barks and roots and things like that that are combined with alcohol that's then used as an additive to cocktails. It's not a primary ingredient, but when added to cocktails, it helps blend flavors together and sort of elevates it above what it is on its own without the bitters. And arguably the most famous bitters are the yellow-capped bottle of Angostura bitters. Um, so it's been mentioned by myself um, in numerous previous recipes of this podcast, um, and you'll you know see any number, in any cocktail book, you'll see dozens of mentions of a dash of Angostura bitters, or two dashes of, dashes of bitters. It's the preeminent bitters. Um, and in fact, until maybe the last six to eight years, there really wasn't a whole lot of other bitters that you would even be talking about on the market. So, um, I'm sure you've seen the iconic bottle. There's a picture of that in the show notes, um, but you can you know, refer to it or you can go to your own bar and look at your own bottle right now. You'll notice there's a lot of writing on that oversized label, um, writing that I, to be honest, have probably never read more than a couple words of. Uh, it's got recipes for a Manhattan on the label, a rum punch, and a daiquiri. Um, it mentions that, um, well, the bottle mentions this plus the website for Angostura, but it was first bottled in 1824 in Venezuela And then the business moved to Trinidad in 1873. Um, Interestingly, if you didn't know this, there's a very high ABV on bitters. It's actually 44.7% alcohol by volume. Uh, And yet most of the time it's classified as a food additive. Uh, There are certain drinks that you can make with a high, uh, high amount. I would say high being anywhere from a half ounce to a full ounce or more of Angostura bitters. Those are definitely the exception, not the rule. Uh, and by and large, because you're consuming so little of it at a time, or using so little in um, a food preparation, because it also is used as a food additive, um, it's really not considered an alcoholic um, ingredient. It's more, it's more of considered a, a food enhancer slash whatever. In any case, the urban legend about Angostura bitters is that only five people know the secret Angostura formula. Uh, which is the kind of thing that sounds interesting at first blush, but ultimately is kind of insignificant when it comes to talking about Angostura bitters. As in, I don't think it would alter my perception of the product if I knew that 100,000 people knew the ingredient list as opposed to five. Uh, so there's, you know, your mileage may vary, but the fact that only five people know about it doesn't really enhance it or make it taste any better or any worse. Um, it is a bar standard, and then while bitters as a category has exploded in the last six to eight years, you could do well for yourself in a home bar if you simply start with a bottle of Angostura. Um, bitters tends to be a, a rabbit hole. Again, like I said, it's that categories or that you know category of cocktail additives has really exploded in the last six to eight years. But starting with Angostura will get you pretty far, uh, and then just watch yourself as you start to collect little bottles of things that you are not sure exactly what to do with, but you know they they work well in cocktails. Speaking of cocktails, the recipe in this episode is the 2070 Swizzle. So the 2070 Swizzle is Martin Kate slash Smuggler's Cove. So Martin Kate is the uh, is the owner of Smuggler's Cove and has developed many of the recipes. Obviously, that are part of that bar. Um, if you've not been to Smuggler's Cove, I definitely recommend uh, going there. If you're, you know, I almost would say make a trip to San Francisco for it. If you're in San Francisco and you haven't been there, um, then you're really missing out. So it is a A great bar opened in, I believe, late, late in 2009 or early 2010. I remember it was just about to open or it was being, we picked up postcards when we were at Tiki Oasis in 2009 and Martin Kate in his uh, symposium was uh, handing out postcards announcing the opening of Smuggler's Cove. Anyways, uh, go there if you haven't been there. So this is Martin Kate's version of a 151 Swizzle and the 151 Swizzle um, is always a good drink to start with. And this drink in particular is a riff on that template, and then that template itself of the 151 Swizzle, is in a you know a punch, Um, and then the 2070 version of the 151 Swizzle tweaks just a few ingredients and ends up highlighting certain flavors and the rums that are used to to build up. There is a, a depth to the sweetness because the 2070 Swizzle uses both simple syrup and honey mix. And that sweetness is encountered with the lime juice, pimento dram, perno, and bitters to, you know, sort of act as that counterpunch to the sweetness. The perno and bitters combo is something that's probably you recognize as a dawn staple. Um, he uses that in a lot of his uh, old ingredient, or old uh, cocktail recipes. And these ingredients play well with the depth of the rums that, are, that make up the 2070 swizzle. Those two rums are Ingestora 1919 and Lemonheart 151. Uh, and so rather than the 151 Swizzle base, you know, the, the the base template, if you will, is primarily just built on that single rum, uh, the 151. Uh, this one uses both rather than just the overproof. Um, I happen to really like the 151 Swizzle. I think it's great um, and it has a certain depth of flavor all on its own, especially if you're using a, a good overproof rum like the Lemon Heart or even um, the Plantation Overproof, which I'm just starting to uh, get into and work my way down through the bottle on. Um, this one dials back a little bit of the potency by mixing in the Angostura 1919 um, and then lets it have a little bit of that moment um, as part of the cocktail as well. The recipe itself, and there will be a couple links to this in the show notes if you want to look it up, but um, the recipe is one ounce of Angostura 1919 rum, one ounce of Lemon Heart 151 rum, one half ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice, one half ounce of simple syrup, one-half ounce of honey mix, and again, honey mix is a 50-50 blend of honey and hot water just so that the honey remains fluid, one-quarter ounce of pimento dram, four drops of perno, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. Uh, So to construct that drink, combine all the ingredients in the metal mixing cup of a spindle blender and add a half a cup of crushed ice, add the ice last to that, Um, and then mix for five seconds and pour unstrained into a Collins glass, and then add more crushed ice to fill. Um, as an alternate preparation, if you don't have the spindle blender or if you just want to build it manually, combine all the ingredients directly into the Collins glass filled with crushed ice. Swizzle that with a swizzle stick or a bar spoon until it's blended. Top it off with more crushed ice because that'll melt as you, as you swizzle it um, with the spoon. And then continue to swizzle that after you've added more ice until the outside of the glass frosts over. And then garnish the drink with freshly grated nutmeg on top. Um, again, the the drink I would recommend uh, using a Collins glass or a tall tiki mug to serve this in. Uh, fresh ground nutmeg as the garnish is required. Uh, a sprig of mint is nice, but I would consider that optional. Now, when you taste this, you're going to get a lot of different flavors playing around. And one of the things that um, I like about a lot of Martin Kate recipes is there's a lot of depth to them, and this is no exception. Um, and so you are getting a, a relatively potent drink, but the, the Lemon Heart 151 is sort of eased eased off uh, a little bit of its potency by using the Angostura 1919 rum. And together, they give something that actually drinks pretty easily. Maybe, you know, perhaps too easily, but nah, that's not true. Um, So by now, you've probably likely figured out what the name 2070 means. Uh, If you haven't, just add 1919 to 151. Now, the timing of featuring a drink like the 2070 Swizzle uh, is a bit suspect, I, I admit, because of the current halt in production in Lemonheart 151. Uh, but I would say, rather than lament what's missing or or possibly unavailable, maybe think of it as an opportunity to experiment and find new combinations that may allude to the the flavor profile of Lemonheart 151, uh, but then end up something that maybe has a style a little bit different and a little bit similar. And in fact, this is something that we're going to explore a little bit more in the next episode of Five Minutes of Rum. And that is it for this episode of Five Minutes of Rum. Thank you for listening. Show links and photos are up on the Five Minutes of Rum website. That's number five minutesofrum.com. The show is also on iTunes as Five Minutes of Rum. You can subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review or all three um, on iTunes. The show is also on Twitter as at five minutes of rum. The at symbol number five minutes of rum. Uh, You can send in comments, corrections, feedback, and requests via either the 5 Minutes of Rum website or on Twitter. And now, go get some rum.